Welcome to The Curious Sheep, the podcast for everything sheep. We'll ask questions, challenge ideas, learn from each other, and share the wonderful world of farming and all the fun that goes with it. Whether you're a seasoned pro at shepherding, just bought your first sheep, or live in the city and are curious about farming, I hope you can gain some knowledge for your own farm or a tidbit of farm info to share at your next dinner party. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Curious Sheep Podcast. The other week, I was asked to go speak at the University of Welsh Sheep and Goat Club. So back to the old stomping grounds I went. It's always fun to be back on campus. I graduated way back in 2007, and sheep weren't really even on my radar then. I guess Ryan and I were dating, and I think he maybe had some sheep in 2005. So I knew a little bit about them, but definitely not on my radar. And now there's so many students interested, they've got a club, which is pretty awesome. They actually came and toured the farm last year, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, they'll show up with a couple carloads of people. But they were able to fill a whole bus, a whole school bus of students that are interested in sheep and goats. So pretty awesome to see that kind of interest. So I thought it would be a great idea to sit down and chat with some of the students and uh, learn a little bit about their current involvement in sheep and get their insights into some of their goals and the possibilities that they see for the sheep industry in the future. Enjoy. Hi guys, thanks for joining me. Why don't we start off by you introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your background. Uh, my name is Allison Wright. Uh, I'm a fourth year University of Guelph student. My background is I'm a generation removed from farming, so my grandparents farmed uh, down in Hillsburg. They did sheep for a while, so that's one reason that I really like sheep. <laughs> and um, I really would like to be a farmer one day, even though I've only had like work experience, I've never done it with my family. Uh, so my name is Daniel Vanderman Grant. I am a first year student at the University of, uh, University of Guelph Ridgetown campus. Um, I'm also a generation removed from farming, so both my grandparents on both sides uh, had farms uh, dairy and beef and some hogs and chickens back in like the 50s to 80s. They sold in the early 90s and then I've, I've lived in, in town my whole life but always loved working on farms and working with farmers and stuff. Uh, the hope eventually is to become a primary sheep producer, uh, hopefully in the next five years I'd say. Awesome. So do you think it's that sort of maybe not quite direct connection to agriculture, but at least with your grandparents, is that where that love of agriculture comes from? Or do you think it's something else? It's definitely a huge part of it for me because like my grand still had us involved in all of like the agricultural stuff that she was involved in. So we would go visit places, we would go to the fair and see things. Um, but I think a lot of it was that I grew up with kids who were from farms and I wanted to be like them and they they had a purpose when they went home they didn't just have homework they had chores <laughs> as to well. go do chores yeah yeah um i i grew up hearing stories from my my parents and my aunts and uncles about work on the farm and life on the farm and they were mostly subsistence farmers so they're like my grandparents wouldn't let them take over the farm they're like get out of it there's no money in it find a trade find a get a degree get a career 
Interesting. And now you're sort of doing yeah. the complete opposite and yeah. wanting yeah. to be that primary and my, producer. My family is like warning me because that's the story they've heard. They're like, there's no money in it. Bail. And I'm like, you don't go into farming for the money, but there is, you can make a living no. at it. You for can sure. make a living. It's that. At least nowadays, it's sort of turned back. Yeah, everyone still bit. needs to eat, right? Yeah. Still need farmers. Yeah. And why sheep? I've worked with goats for the past three summers, and I had some goats of my own before that in high school. And I really liked that they were small, and I just really liked that they're small ruminants, so I can handle them, and they're very friendly. And then I started to work with sheep with uh, the College Royal here, so we show lambs, and we've got them in the dairy barn on campus. And I started working with them, and I was like, I like sheep so much more than goats. They're so much <laughs> more seen chill. You've the light. <laughs> they're so much more chill. They don't bite you. They're... It's just, they're lower to the ground. I like that they're just very calm and low. Yeah, there's not a chance of getting crushed by them. <laughs> no. Um, so I'm interested in sheep because I was interested in, in most sectors of agriculture. And I started looking at like barriers to entry and like feasibility from like starting from ground zero or like starting from scratch. And like dairy and poultry and pork are almost impossible to get into without working for like 20 years to build up equity and getting loans and stuff. And starting, you know, from a crop side, there's a lot of, like you need a, a large land base, you need a lot of machinery. But to get started into sheep and to grow in sheep seems like doable from a from scratch. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of leads into my next question is, within the sheep industry, um, there are less barriers to entry. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that? Or what are there maybe issues do you see once you get into the industry or your thoughts on the sheep industry within Ontario? Do you want to stay in Ontario to be a sheep producer? Or do you see possibilities elsewhere? We're probably going to stay in Ontario. We've, we're working on getting a 50-acre farm in Simcoe County that's, that belongs to my family, so we're working to buy that within the next 10 years. Nice. Um, so it's, it's nice that it's land that you can grow hay on, you can grow some crops on, we can graze sheep. I think the land is the main inhibitor of people getting into farming in the first place. If you don't have land to come land from, prices, right? then yeah. getting enough acreage to feed enough sheep to make money on, because you do need a little bit of economy of scale. You're not going to make a living on 25 sheep probably compared to if you could get into 200, 300, 400 ewes, and you're going to need more land to feed those ewes. Yeah. yeah, I think you need to either pick or be able to afford land that is highly productive to push production that way, or go complete opposite where you buy, say, rangeland range out in Western Canada and be a little more extensive in yeah. your production methods. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the industry in Ontario? I think that there's a huge opportunity for direct-to-consumer and direct-to-retailer just because they're, we're not meeting our domestic demand. So it would be nice to show restaurants and like direct consumers that you don't have to buy Australian lamb because we have Canadian lamb here on sale for you. Perfect. 
and maybe you've probably met pro current producers like myself or other ones maybe where you've toured. What do you think current producers can do for someone like you who's wanting to get into the industry? Uh, so opening up your farms to things like tours and doing presentations like you did today and speaking at, at colleges specifically or to students and young people just to make them aware of the, the possibilities because I know at my school there's there aren't that many avenues that people are considering. They're considering cash cropping, some are considering fruits and veggies or like the big three livestock species. Yeah. And like sheep isn't even on the radar that you could make money at. Oh, it. I'd have to agree because when I was in school, like sheep was not on my radar. I never no. toured a sheep farm. We never had a sheep farmer come talk to us. And yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I do some of this stuff is to share what we're doing because I think it's a great opportunity for for other producers or new producers because yeah. we have so much potential. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for young people to see that you can be successful at it. It doesn't just have to be a side hustle. If you put work in it can work for you. Yeah, We need more full-time producers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a, a lot of like small-time producers that, you know, they're, they're a cash crop operation, but they have an old bank barn that they have 50 U's in or something. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, the extent of their interest in sheep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of producers, we were talking about this earlier, the, the producers that are between that, say, 50 to 200 head, it works alongside... Um, say some crop production on the farm or that producer having an off-farm job. Yeah. Do you think there's something specific that producers need or why do you think they're not making that jump from it being a part-time thing to being a full-time egg business, paying, you know, having that income for one or two people on that farm versus diversifying or having it just as that side hustle? I think ultimately it's, it's scary. It's going from what you already know works, which is cash cropping or an off-farm job. You have steady income, a steady paycheck, and you're, you have to take that leap of faith from, you know, for sure income. You might have a, a young family or you might be taking care of older relatives or something. And you know that if, if you take that hit on your income, like your, your family or your situation can't handle it. And so if you make that jump and you buy 400, 800, 1,000 ewes, and it doesn't work, you're, you're really in the weeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, sometimes that's exactly the thing, right? It's scary, but I think as sheep producers in the sheep industry, we sometimes need to maybe look at, say, the dairy industry, where if you're a dairy farmer, you're invested in that industry and in that farm for, if not, you know, your lifetime, but even your children or your, your grandchildren's yeah. lifetime. Um, so I think we need to kind of maybe get over it being scary sometimes, but yeah, yeah. You, you need to have that personal comfort level. You need, you have your own personal comfort level that you need yeah. to deal with. Yeah. I think some of it might be moving to a new market level cause you can sell like direct from farm, like farm sales, if you only have like 50 mm -hmm. sheep, but finding a market for your 200 use might be a step that they're not ready to take or they don't know that they're yeah. ready to take. And as sheep producers, we have to do our own marketing, yeah. right? It's yeah. The milk truck's not going to show up every day and pick up what we produced. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I know coming from a dairy farm myself, um, 
I know my family sometimes they don't oh like what are you why are you doing all this extra value added marketing stuff because I actually need to sell my product yeah the milk truck doesn't come and just pick it up it's not something that just happens we have to work on that yeah, we've a really good points. Yeah, marketing is definitely a big part of the sheep industry because you can yeah. make money at the sale barn, but you're not maximizing your profits. No. And you're really at the mercy of the of the market price. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think sheep is a really good opportunity for value added because it's we're not meeting our demand so you can fill that demand with value added products as yeah. well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you could do I mean meat lambs of any shape and size you can do yeah. you could start milking sheep yeah um or become a crazy wool lady like me right yeah there's a lot of <laughs> niches to fill in very the sheep many market. niches yeah. yeah and it's just finding the one that you work best in mm-hmm. the one you can find a market for and produce well yeah for. and that'll depend on the region as well yeah. yep. so you guys are students you're young um, some thoughts on consumer trends, maybe do you guys talk to a lot of other students on campus about their buying habits or their views about agriculture? I mean, walking across campus, you see a lot of Yeti mugs and uh, a lot of Carhartt hats and a lot of uh, Blundstone boots. Awesome. <laughs> so I think, if, I think if we can incorporate a big enough brand... Do you think agriculture is infiltrating? I think it is. Like Carhartt, you see it on people who definitely are not from farms. Yeah, the the agricultural lifestyle has definitely started to permeate into mainstream society. So you're noticing that even more. It's like, it's cool to be a farmer. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Like plaid jackets and beards and leather boots are back in now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that they're buying that kind of products to kind of buy the the look of the farmer do you think that's helping them as far as their understanding of agriculture modern agriculture things like gmos and that kind of egg technology do you think that's helping that i think there's sort of a weird split there is a lot of those people that you kind of classify them as like hipsters but they're the people that do become interested in like where their food is sourced and they're very interested in sustainability so they're not interested in like they're those are the people that want to buy like gmo free they want to buy grass-fed they want to buy like organic (coughs) produced livestock or or crops Mm -hmm. and so they're not interested in conventional agriculture and they actually see conventional agriculture as a bad thing so it's sort of a, a weird part of society where they're not involved in agriculture, but they look down on a certain sector of agriculture yeah. and are very interested in, in like organic producers. Yeah, so yeah, it sounds like they're interested in farming and where their food comes from, but only their specific vision of it. Yes, very much so. Yeah, we gotta work on that, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I would say there's the simpler point of like those brands built their like the durability of their brands and their products from farmers like if it survives farm work it's going to survive anything and then that makes it a good quality product and then other people buy it because they're like hey it's worth my money if it's going to last me for 10 years yeah I was going to say I live with someone who wore Blundstones religiously she owned like three or four pairs and she she didn't know anything anything about about anything. I think that's that's really interesting. I'm 
how do you think we can, as someone who, there's so many ways we can farm and there's so many different production practices and we're still seeing this whole like good versus bad, but people are interested in farmers. They think being a farmer is cool. How, how can we get them to open their eyes a bit more just to view agriculture in general versus picking a quote unquote good part of it? Because we need all parts of it. Yeah. And if we look at it big picture, right? One form of agriculture is not better or worse than the other. We need them all. They can all work on different kinds of farms. Yeah. I think tours are a really good way to do it because I know that when I've gone to see things on farms, I understand what I'm seeing better than if I'm reading about it. Mm -hmm. But I know that farm tours are not accessible to everyone. And I know that some people won't trust like e-tours, like how I've, I've seen some e-tours like where they just have a video, but they'll think that it's edited. Right. So I think that opening a very transparent conversation, like when people say, this is what happened on my farm, it was a bad day, I'm going to do everything I can to fix it because that's what farmers do, mm-hmm. is we work to keep things moving and growing. Do you think social media is key in that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and the farm accounts that I know of that post like regularly on social media become like the norm, and they introduce people to uh, how that sector of industry works. Like I know when I was writing a dairy paper for class, most of the things I knew about dairy came from Farmer Tim. Nice. So I was like, getting I know that... Farmer Tim yeah. lets his cows lick his calves off. I think. I think that's yeah. part of his. Yeah. So if he does it, some other people would do it. So you've almost switched, because like when I was in university, it was everything needed to be from a research paper or the library. Yeah. So like, there's more of this information that people are getting from the source, from the actual farmers. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think the gain from actual farmers could be very beneficial. Yeah, I think the, the media presence from producers is very important, because the alternative to find, like the alternative information you find instead of Farmer Tim's Facebook page or Sandy Brock's YouTube or your Instagram is like PETA ads or like the SPCA's people that have an agenda against agriculture and we need to find a way to be to address the issues that people are concerned about not in a defensive way but just in an educational way mm-hmm. without preaching yeah because no yeah. one likes being it's preached like, to like no, we don't kill hard... we don't kill lambs for wool even though PETA will tell you that. No. But you can't just come out and make a slam post against PETA. That's my one that's my one beef <laughs> with the sheep industry is that we call the product we produce lamb. Yes. We call it right. the yeah. baby animal. We call it the baby yeah. animal. And I think that's the worst marketing term <laughs> anyone could have ever picked. That's for sure. We should like come up with a whole new a yeah. whole new term for it. Yeah. yeah. And mutton is is off the table at this point. Yeah, and mutton has a whole another yeah. yeah. connotation to it, right? Yeah. Like you can't use. They that think term of either. like tough and gamey and smelly and yeah, yeah. But there is a whole market for that. Yeah, there yeah. is. Yeah, but that's not how to like cook mainstream it. society yeah. is not <laughs> yeah. interested in mutton. No, mainstream Canadian society. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um. What uh, we talked a little bit about your future goals um, 
for the sheep farm. What about, do you see any trends as far as the sheep industry on in Ontario where it's going or maybe consumer trends for lamb and sheep and wool products? Uh, so lamb is one of the few livestock species that's actually increasing in consumption on a per capita basis and an overall basis. So like dairy consumption, beef consumption are down. Uh, pork and poultry are up right now, I think. But poultry's definitely up. Yeah. yeah. But we're we're definitely like moving into like immigrant populations don't eat a lot of beef. Yeah, it's it's chicken and lamb that's increasing. Yeah, chicken and lamb yeah. are both increasing, which is great for producers, I guess. Yeah. We yeah. need more producers. Yes. Yeah, we have a yeah. definitely we're not meeting the demand. I think we definitely need to move wool away from the hipster market. Yeah. <laughs> we can't all be selling because it's a smaller market and it's not necessarily a market that has the most buying power like not everyone is going to wear an orange like handmade knit sweater knit sweater yeah. but they might buy a canadian wool pea coat yes they oh might i have buy... so many ideas yeah yes. i think if, <laughs> it's if coming can, it's coming i think we definitely need to move away from like the the hippie or the craft market because i think those are already rather full with Canadian wool and they're full with synthetics as well like craft I know that a lot of people like do acrylic yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I think if we can get into like permit like the slow fashion sort of stuff but in like a very modern way that's like pea coats and like wool suits and mm -hmm. wool socks wool ties things that people already wear regularly and you wouldn't notice right away that it was not from like a big brand i think that would be a really good and efficient way to to get people interested in canadian wool so when you get your sheep we're gonna start doing stuff with your wool too yeah, right of course oh, yeah, for yeah sure. we're, we're looking at uh, at wool breeds <laughs> yeah we're looking at uh specifically fin sheep nice. which are very prolific fairly fast growing for a prolific breed but also have higher quality wool than most maternal breeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you could do a lot with that. Yeah. 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 And Finn, Finn is on my list of something to possibly add back in yeah. to add a bit more prolificacy once we get yeah. too much dorset yeah. into our crosses. Well, they're, yeah. uh, they're a big part of the Rito genetics mm -hmm. is, is Finn yeah. sheep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because yeah, we're looking at 50 acres. That's probably the most attainable piece of land we have on our radar right now. So 50 acres, we're going to need a pretty prolific breed. Yeah. to do on 50 acres and raise a, a good lamb crop yeah yeah i think it'd be helpful especially in canada like we've done a really good job of marketing like canadian dairy products like yeah. the blue cow mm -hmm. and every everybody i know looks for the blue cow yeah. but we have no awareness for canadian wool anymore we have, we so have we, no uniformity across yeah. the board yeah we we like process our wool and ship it to china and then we buy products that were made with Australian wool or New Zealand It gets wool. blended. Or yeah, it gets lose blended. The, we lose that identity of it being yeah. Canadian. Yeah. yeah. I know in Australia, they're having a big push for Australian cotton. Like, they, they really want to open up cotton processors mm -hmm. and sell it domestically. So I think something like that in Canada yeah. could be really good. We just need a couple large processors and manufacturers mm -hmm. to... There's your next step. You'd have room for a mill on your 50 acres? Yeah, that would be something to look at, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Awesome. 
Um, so I've got a fun question for you too. Um, what is your favorite sheep movie or like maybe sheep themed book? Babe. Babe, awesome. <laughs> I think that's the Bar only one. you. <laughs> May your fleece be true. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. I like that it's not just sunny days. Like they've got that flood in that movie and they've got the, the wolf attack on the that's sheep. Right. And they've got the sheep being stolen. Yeah. I think yeah. it was a really good movie. I just wish the animals didn't talk. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I call it the... Um, the Red Barn Syndrome or the Walt Disney Syndrome is that <laughs> yeah. because people always see animals in movies talking, they anthropomorphize the animals. Yeah. And then it comes back this whole thing that we call the product we produce, the product that we eat, we call it lamb. Yeah. <laughs> also, which happens to be the name of the cute little sweater wearing babies. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's an awesome movie. Well, thanks so much um, for your time. Any final thoughts? Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. We really appreciate it. No problem. I'm excited. There's so much interest in sheep. So hopefully that keeps going. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you go. A student's view. This episode was recorded at the beginning of March 2020. And when I'm releasing this, it's going to be March 24th. A lot has happened in the world since we recorded this. COVID-19 has kind of turned the world on its head and given us a a different outlook on what's happening. I think it would actually be really interesting to talk to the students again in a year and kind of see what their future plans are and if they've changed. I know we read a lot about uh, people's viewpoints changing in the world right now. Things like people discovering or sort of rediscovering the fact that food is very important in our lives and kind of discovering those essentials that we need in our everyday life and slowing down and being forced to slow down and maybe enjoy dinner at home with the family and it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of an impact that has on agricultural production and the demands that we as farmers have and the kinds of products that consumers will be asking for in the coming months and years and we'll see how that changes so Stay tuned. I'm sure we can get them back and get a bit of an update. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in and make sure you head on over to Instagram to follow us at Circle Our Lamb, where I'll be posting links to the episodes as well as the show notes and any related tip sheets and materials. Feel free to ask any questions or give us suggestions for future episodes. Thanks and happy farming.